Now, for the show that brings combat sports stories to life from the great state of Ohio, this is Forged in Ohio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 44 of Forged in Ohio. My name is Jake Marin, and I'm the host of the podcast. You know, I like to feature combat sports athletes on the show every week, but I also like to pick ones that you can count on being exciting every single time they compete. I feel like I've done that 43 episodes in, and this next guest fits that mold perfectly as well. This amateur mixed martial artist is undefeated with a 3-0 record and owns a 100% finish rate on top of that in his last fight at cage thunder 22 he literally put a guy to sleep in a triangle choke it was insane he represents rtse training center it's the always entertaining walker snowden thanks for coming on the show walker and welcome to forge in ohio yeah thanks for having me it's a pleasure to be on the podcast and uh hopefully we'll get into some great content today yeah, the pleasure is all mine to have you on the show. Before we get into your most recent win at Cage Thunder 22, along with all the other fights you've had in your career, I want to start by talking about your story and how this amateur career in the sport really started for you. How did you get into mixed martial arts? I think like a lot of people here in Ohio, uh, I started off as a wrestler, started wrestling in sixth grade. Once I realized that in middle school, you actually have to try out for the basketball team. And I said, yeah, let's not even embarrass myself like that. Let's find a new sport to do during the winter. So I just picked up wrestling and I fell in love with that. With that love going into eighth grade, I was like, how can I help myself become a better wrestler? And I ended up actually joining a judo gym out in Avon, Ohio. Uh, Shout out to Paul Jordan, my original sensei. Uh, And that gym just happened to have uh, a jujitsu instructor from Pennsylvania. He was a purple belt at the time. And that's how I kind of got into like mixed martial arts, like around 13 years old, Uh, just doing judo and jujitsu to try to help with my wrestling. And I I didn't even know that it was going to turn into this one day, honestly. Wow, so you started in wrestling when you were younger because basketball tryouts weren't for you. That's a, a pretty crazy story there. But were you like immediately in love with wrestling and that's what compelled you to try out judo and then jiu-jitsu as well? I think I was more in love with the fact that I didn't have to rely on a team anymore because Mm -hmm. I was playing football and basketball. And as fun as that can be, those are still team sports. But just knowing that everything that I did, all the results that I got were on me, I think that's really what brought me into wrestling it wasn't so much the sport itself but just knowing that every all of the results were the result of my hard work not everyone's hard work on the team but more so that it was just me versus someone else and if I lost I lost and if I won I was the guy who did the winning you know Yeah, and at that time when you're signing up for wrestling at that young of an age, were you really aware of the sport of mixed martial arts? Were you a fan growing up or were you just like, hey, this is a solo sport. Let's give it a try. Oh, definitely not. I was definitely just more concerned on just playing a sport throughout the winter. I got into mixed martial arts, I'd say about like around eighth grade. And I think that's really what drove me to get into judo and everything like that but yeah i didn't even know that mma or ufc was a thing until like i think it was one day at a buybacks you know and i think those are out of business i literally bought like a box set of dvds of like cage uh like uh i think it was like rumble on the rock or something like that very old promotion 
and it had like a hundred fights on it. And I was just like, what is this? And I just fell in love with it at that point. Watching those 100 fights that night, were you just like, yeah, this is something I could immediately imagine myself doing one day? Oh, yeah, for sure. I was like, yeah, like all, all the best people were wrestlers during that time. And I was like, I could get takedowns like that. I saw them doing like little arm triangles and like uh, easy Kimuras and stuff. And I was like, I swore my instructor just showed me that the other day. So, yeah, I, I just saw adults doing things that I was doing. And I was like, well, if I just stay on this path, I could eventually do this when I get older. So with that background in wrestling and then judo and jiu-jitsu as well, what was your first couple of exposures like to boxing and striking and actually having to deal with throwing strikes but also receiving them as well? Uh, so, yeah, so that same summer that I found judo and jiu-jitsu, they were like, you should just come in for the boxing, you know, just make it well-rounded. Why just be a grappler if you think one day you're going to be a fighter? Uh, so I, I went to the boxing classes. My very first class, I left with a black eye. And I t looked at my instructor and I told him right away, this is why I'm a grappler. And he was like, you know, just keep coming back. Uh, you'll get better. The next class I went to, I just kept throwing strikes to the body, like super slow. So I was leaving my head exposed and I left with a headache. And I did literally like two striking classes before I actually started fighting because I was like, yeah, I'm going to just be a grappler. I was like, I don't think the striking aspect is for me yet. Yeah, how hard was it for you to get back into the gym in those striking classes when day one you're leaving with a black eye and day two you're leaving with a headache? It, it was honestly extremely hard. Like, um, I knew from the jump that I have a strong grappling base and that's where my strong suit is going to be uh, is on the ground. But just getting over that hill of knowing that this is something that you have to overcome this is a fear that you're going to have to settle within yourself because it is scary knowing that, you know, striking is the only aspect where someone can land a lucky punch. When it comes to grappling, there's not too much luck that goes into it. It's a lot of technique. It's a lot of repetition, a lot of drilling. With striking, you can leave your hand down for just a split second. A guy throws a hook with his eyes closed and it knocks you out. So that's just something that you just have to get over and just realize that, through a lot of hard work, a lot of drilling, and the same repetition that you put into your grappling, that you would be able to protect yourself at all times. And eventually, it'll be an aspect of your game where you can move forward and just keep progressing. From those first two days of striking and boxing classes, how far has your striking come from those first two days to where you are now as a 3-0 and amateur mixed martial artist? Oh, uh, it, it's, it's come immensely far like those first couple classes were when i was younger but even from my first fight to my last fight i i feel comfortable on my feet it's not just this bravado that i'm telling myself that i'm actually okay standing up with someone but knowing that i've actually put in this time and i can win a fight on my feet if it comes to that and i know that not just saying it and not just being overconfident but because of the reps in the sparring rounds that I put in the sparring partners that I have in the gym. I know that the level of competition that I'm going to be fighting even in the future just isn't matching up. And I, and I've been standing 10 toes against those opponents in the gym. And I know that it's going to take me far in the cage. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I know in my my last episode, I had a fighter on, and he was also had a wrestling background, and he said that himself today would absolutely obliterate the guy that debuted. Do you feel like Walker Snowden today would beat Walker Snowden back in November when you debuted last year? 100%. I, I feel like the Walker Snowden of today would beat that guy with just a stare down, just because I feel like just the confidence that I exude now is it's real. It's not just this bravado that I'm trying to put on because I'm a fighter now and every fighter has to be tough. But I feel like because I'm actually doing day in and day out, the things that I need to do to be a complete mixed martial artist, it's just, it just shows. And just the way that I speak, the way that I'm carrying myself in the gym now, the way that I'm carrying myself in the cage, it's just a completely different fighter. And yeah, I, I wouldn't stand a chance against me now. The 100% finish rate has to help with the confidence too, I imagine, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, they always say that we don't get paid for overtime in the fight world, so it's better to get in there and get the <laughs> job done so you can go home. Yes, sir, exactly, man. We'll get into those fights shortly, but I know you've competed at light heavyweight and most recently at middleweight. What weight class best suits you moving forward, or are you open to competing in both? Uh, honestly, 185, I'm hoping, is my... Uh, weight class moving forward uh, the weight class that I want to get some amateur belts in but yeah I'm not opposed to fighting at 205 you know um, this was the first time that I had to cut weight and I want to say like eight months so it was definitely nice sitting a little heavier at 205 so if some fights uh, good contracts come at that weight class and my team feels that uh, we can win that fight we'll be more than happy to take that but moving forward I'd like to stay at 185. Is the cut to middleweight a difficult one for you? No, uh, it, it's it's not difficult at all. I stay pretty dialed in on my diet year-round. Uh, I'm just a pretty healthy guy and everything like that. It's just no one likes to be thirsty for a whole week, mm. and that's what it is. It's just a week of just uh, cutting back on my liquids and everything like that, but the cut's not bad at all. I believe you're the second fighter from RTSE Training Center that I've had on Forge in Ohio. How'd you end up finding the gym, and what has it meant to you so far in your career? Actually, I didn't find RTSE. Ray actually found me. I was <laughs> training out of UFC gym in Middleburg Heights, and Ray actually saw a couple of my posts. I just won a grappling industries tournament and he just had someone reach out to me and they were like hey you should come check out the gym well when i went to the gym originally it was honestly just hard-nosed wrestlers hard-nosed grapplers and i was honestly intimidated i was used to being the big fish in a small pond uh the best guy in the room that could just kind of go in there and flow and when i went there it was you know this is serious we train people to be professional grapplers professional fighters here no one's just coming in here to, you know, just have a good time. And it kind of scared me away for a little bit. After my first fight, I realized that's the gym that I need to be at if I'm going to take this serious. And so when I went back to Ray and told him I want to join RTSC again, he welcomed me with open arms. And honestly, it's meant so much to me, the love that he showed me, the support that he showed my career and just everything that he's been doing just to build me as not just a fighter, but just as a man, you know, and it, it's starting to show in my voice a little bit. But Ray's honestly done a lot for me within this short time that I've been back at the gym and I couldn't be more grateful. 
Could you even imagine where you'd be today if you didn't make that choice to end up joining RTSC after that first MMA fight that you had? Honestly, no. I, I don't know where I'd be at. Not even just like in my fight career, but just like mentally or would I just be doing day to day because joining that gym gave me the confidence to know that I can go to that next level. Even if it is just a 10 and 0 amateur and we just decide that, okay, we can do something else with our lives. Or if we do make that jump to pro and I knew that we can make it to the Bellator scene, the PFL, the UFC at this gym and with this trainer, but without this gym, yeah, I don't, I think maybe I just still be fighting, you know, people that are fighting independent, you know, that are just there to have a good time on the weekends, not really taking it too serious. But with Ray in my corner, I know that this is, we're training to be professionals here. I mentioned how you're the second fighter from the gym that I've had on Forge in Ohio. The first was Chris Porter. What was it like seeing your teammate win his pro debut via first round knockout for B2 Fighting Series last April? Oh, like that, that was amazing. Just seeing Chris finally make that pro debut and just knowing that how hard he's worked for this for so many years. Like he's another fighter that started around like 15, 16 years old. So he's someone that the grind has never stopped. And to finally make that pro debut and make a statement like that, that meant so much to me, someone that started training with him, but knowing that he kind of took me under his wing when I first came back to the gym and just knowing that my mentor, I guess, in a way is out there making waves and, you know, many great fights to come. It was amazing. Yeah. You mentioned how he's a mentor. Do you kind of look up to him in a way, knowing that he has the experience and now he's that one and a pro and kind of want to shape your amateur career, so to say the way he kind of did, you know, Look up is such a, you know, (laughs) weird term, but I definitely respect him a lot. I I do respect him as a fighter and everything that he he has done. And I respect him for seeing me as the new brother on the team because Mm. the team at RTSC is very very tight knit. And when I went and joined, he was the first person to say, like, okay, if you want to be on the team, this is kind of how we do things. And I'll take it slow with you for a little bit and to get the reins and the ropes and everything like that. And now he's even helping me with my game. And like, so yeah, it's not that I look up to him, but I respect the man that he is the man and the fighter. Chris is a great dude. Yeah. And you're talking about the team who are some other guys at the gym that I, along with other MMA fans in the state of Ohio should keep an eye out for uh, moving forward. We got Brian on the team, better known as Doogie. He's a professional fighter fighting for B2, trying to get a fight coming up. Um, we have Marcus that uh, fights on the team. He also fights for B2. I know he had his last professional fight there. And then we have Isaiah, who was supposed to be on the last Cage Thunder card with me, but his opponent didn't want to make weight. So, mm. like I said, at RTSC, we like to do everything professional, even on the amateur level. So if your opponent's not going to make weight, we're not going to play those games, but Isaiah is definitely the other amateur fighter that's on the team with me. That's definitely going to be on the up and up uh, here soon with me as well. Yeah, well, it seems like everything's going well over at RTSC. Talking to Walker Snowden on Forged in Ohio. Let's dive into your career now. You debuted last November for BCM Promotions and won with a second round armbar. In my opinion, an armbar can be one of the most exciting submissions in the sport. Talk me through that fight and the finish in the second round. Yeah, so the fight starts 
as most debut fights start, it was his first fight, my first fight, and he just rushes me immediately just throwing haymakers. I'm obviously the smaller opponent because I'm just fighting up at 205. And it was, I was thrown in the fire right away and I had to be like, okay, how am I going to handle this situation? It was a fight that I wanted to keep on my feet, but we got to the ground a couple times. Obviously, I did a couple throws, ended the round with a double leg. But halfway through the first round, I actually thought I was going to get a TKO finish. Ended up landing a couple good punches and everything, but my uh, first opponent had a tough chin, and he actually had the will to fight. He was not going down, and it surprised me a lot. Going into the second round, we just get up against the cage. I decide, hey, I'm not a stand-up fighter. Let's not you know, try to just keep this on the feet. We could finish it on the ground. So I just get another uh, toss, uh, get it to the ground, and... The way that we landed, I had his arms trapped. I was able to get straight to mount, and then I just secured the arm bar from there. Just pretty standard uh, jujitsu. once I got into mount. And then I actually think I hyperextended his arm, uh, mm. too, which I'm not saying that I was trying to hurt the guy, but it's just crazy how I just keep getting these weird submissions, you know, uh, in my fights. It was a very good fight, very good way to make a debut, too. Yeah, absolutely. So with it being your debut and from the opening round, your opponent is just blitzing you, coming at you straight forward. Was it hard to kind of keep your composure in there with it being your debut? I think all of the mental work that I did going into the fight, because I'm a runner. So uh, even though my name is Walker, I do enjoy a, a really nice long run. And I think the running actually helps me be able to clear my head stay focused and build just a mental fortitude and so i can go back onto that when i'm in my fights when you're running you can quit at any time it's like just walk just walk why are we still running just turn around go home and you can go with that into the fight you're getting punched in the head just fall down just fall down just give up and it's like no the fight's not over the run's not over you know and so as long as i can keep that composure and have that iron will it wasn't a problem and with that mental fortitude, do the nerves of fighting in MMA ever come into play for you? Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, I'm nervous the entire time I'm in the back room. But as long as you don't let those nerves take control of you, make it raise your heart rate, make you start getting butterflies and bubble guts and stuff like that, then the nerves can be pretty exciting. Like, I know once I'm getting nervous and I'm starting to get a little tingly, I'm like, that's my body telling me it's ready to go into the fight. I feel like if I weren't getting those nerves, I'd be too calm. And then maybe that's when I'd start getting into trouble when I'm into a fight because my body's like, oh crap, we actually needed to be a little bit more prepared for this. But when the nerves are there, I feel like that's when I'm actually on my game. And you mentioned earlier how when you first signed up for wrestling, you couldn't imagine yourself as an actual fighter. Did the debut submission win in any way solidify that MMA was what you wanted to do? Yeah, it was more than just solidify what I wanted to do, but it showed me that this is something that I could do. Mm. Uh, it showed that even after the time off that I took in college and everything, that this was something that we were meant to do, that even after you, I was getting bum rushed and everything, I, I was able to stay calm. I was able to land some punches. I was able to still think about my game plan while I was in there in the heat of battle. And then to come out with the finish the way that I did, it really said that, okay, let's let's see how far we can take this. 
Yeah, and you've taken it very far now, 3-0 with a 100% finish rate. You turned around quickly after the debut. You competed in February at Cage Thunder 19. As many people listening know, that was my first ever live MMA experience, and you were one of many fighters that night that won inside the distance. You knocked out Octavian Cohen Jr. with just four seconds left in the very first round. How determined were you to beat the buzzer and get Cohen Jr. out of there in the first? I was very determined to just finish the fight uh, in the first, the second, or the third. But that was my first fight under the RTSC banner. So I really wanted to just show my coaches that I could follow a game plan and that I was the fighter that they thought I was. And then just show that I could also put on a show and a good showing for the team as a whole. So to go in there and get the finish on the ground the way that I did, it wasn't by submission, but by the TKO was very fulfilling for me. It, it filled everything that I needed to do. And what was it like going to the gym the next the next day or the next week, going back to training and walking in those RTSC doors and having that knockout win on your record and having those guys around you? So what's crazy is that for that fight, I actually did um, a lot of private sessions. I didn't really train with the team too much for that fight. I think I actually met the team a week or two before that fight happened when I was just prepping um, just for like a little weight cut and everything. And so when I went back on Monday, obviously we had posted it on social medias and stuff like that. So I got like a couple head nods and stuff like that, but no one on the team really knew who I was like even on the grappling team and the fighters and stuff like that. It wasn't until this fight really where I was training with everyone in the gym for like a full six months where everyone was like, oh, this is Walker, and like he's really here to stay, you know? So you picked up the submission win in your first fight and a knockout in your second one. What felt better, winning by sub or KO? I know Ray's going to hate this since he's a big jiu-jitsu guy, but definitely putting the hands on somebody felt a heck of a lot better. Because even in that uh, second fight, I was trying to work the submission. And then at the end, I was like, wait a minute. I can just punch this guy. We don't have to choke him out. And so that that definitely uh, felt a lot better. It definitely gets the blood pumping a little bit, too. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, Ray was probably happy with your third fight at Cage Thunder 22 earlier this month, I imagine. You won via triangle choke in the first round, but that doesn't do the finish justice as you put your opponent to sleep. What was your reaction when you actually realized that that man was unconscious? I was very shocked because the way that his arm had gone limp, I thought he was just done defending my punches. Because if you go back and watch the fight, you can see I'm trying to load up a punch in the triangle choke but he's just blocking it the whole time so i was actually about to just start punching him until the ref just stopped me he was like hey the fight's over and i was like oh wow he's out like it took me completely by surprise so yeah i was not expecting that result at all yeah and that submission kind of took a little while to materialize how confident were you that what you had locked in would be enough to pick up the submission win uh 100 confident because fortunately enough Literally two weeks before this fight, we had drilled this same submission in class for an entire week. And it was the exact triangle where you don't even take the arm over to the opposite side. You leave it on the same side because you're trying to fight. That exact same setup that I ended up in was what we had drilled for a whole week straight. And 
it was just kind of surreal that that just came to fruition. So I knew for a fact that that choke was going to work because like Ray always says, drillers make killers. And thank God the ref was there or, you know, it might have been a kill that night. Yeah, that's one of the things about this mission that was so impressive to me was just how natural it was for you to wrap that up with that natural transition. I know he was the one that initiated the wrestling and got on top after some awkward scrambles, was just drilling it enough to where that was a natural transition for you on the ground when you saw the opening. Was that kind of what helped you wrap up that submission in the fight? 100%. Um, Even though I didn't want to take the fight to the ground, whenever I get there, everything just flows natural like that's just where my flow state happens i know a lot of people talk about their flow state as they're on the feet and you know they just see the punches coming when i'm on the ground on my back or on top i just feel the submissions i feel the transitions that i need to get into and my heart rate's never spiking nothing's ever worrying me because i know that i've been in these positions thousands of times just throughout the camp not even in my life I practice so much in camp that I just know I've been here thousands of times already. And your opponent, Jeremiah Slagle, was coming off a four-year layoff, but he was no slouch. He was 3-1 and one heading into the fight and went the distance with one of Ohio's best MMA fighters in Josiah Harrell. What was the game plan heading into the fight? Our game plan is always it should just take the fight where we feel like we can win it best on the feet. You saw that I was very comfortable. We had practiced so much in my boxing and we knew that he did have that college wrestling background. So I was planning on keeping it on my feet for as long as I could. And like you said, he initiated the takedown, but we knew that once we got to the ground, we still weren't going to be in trouble. And like you said, he was four and one, you know, he, he definitely no slouch. And I knew that he had never been finished before. So The game plan in my own head was just get the finish at any way possible. Yeah, and you also received your blue belt after the win, I believe. What did that mean to you and how far you've come with your jiu-jitsu? Honestly, thank you for acknowledging the blue belt. And um, yeah, that meant a lot to me. Um, And it wasn't so much just how far I've come with my jiu-jitsu, but like I was saying, how far Ray has helped me come as a man. Because I've been training jiu-jitsu for years now. My blue belt was well overdue, but I was the type of student that could never stay at one academy long enough to really garnish the trust and the acknowledgement from a coach to say that, okay, you have been here long enough to say that you're a part of this team and you've earned this blue belt with our uh, school and everything. So just Mm -hmm. the fact that I've been able to stay with RTSC this long means that, like, me personally, I've just I've just really found a home here at this gym. And that blue belt solidified it. And it's Ray recognizing that he's found a new student that's going to be here for the long run. And now I can start getting promoted through their teachings and stuff like that. It, it, it meant a lot to me. Since you already thought that you were already at that blue belt level, I guess, do you think you're already worthy of a belt higher than blue belt or do you not really think of it that way? Yeah, I'm not thinking of it that way at all. Um, My grappling can speak for itself when I'm in the cage. And whenever Ray feels like I'm ready to get promoted to that next belt, that's all up to him. Mm. I'm not going to be that guy and never have been that guy that's going to be like, hey, you think it's time for a promotion or do you think I should be this color belt or whatever? Because at the end of the day, there's no belts in the cage. You know, if I lock up the submissions, I lock up the submissions. If I'm transitioning from one position to another effortlessly that's all that needs to be done it doesn't matter what belt rank i am 
So of the three fights that we've talked about, do you have a favorite performance that sticks out over the others? I'd have to imagine that it's the most recent win with that stunning submission victory, but does one stick out more than the other? Honestly, I'm going to have to go with my debut fight. It is, it's the only fight to go to the second uh, round, and he honestly gave me the, the biggest fight. Like he, he landed some good punches on me, and he was really there to scrap. The last two fights... I thought were going to be some good scraps, and and they were. Don't get me wrong, but they were definitely ended a lot quicker. And I feel like in my debut fight, though, I did face a little bit more adversity. Yeah, in terms of cage time, the longest fight of your career so far has gone three minutes and fifty five seconds. It was that debut. How have you been able to maintain that one hundred percent finish rate and make it look so easy and effortless every time out as well? It's the camps. It's we're, we're training like a professional here, just so when we do make it to the professional ranks, it won't be anything new. There'll just be longer rounds. But the thing is, we're already sparring those five minute rounds, so it still won't be anything different. Like I said, I stay dialed in with my diet 24-7 in camp or not. I'm running every single day like I'm just putting in the work that you're seeing in the cage. You guys are only seeing less than three minutes. You know, you said three minutes, 55 seconds. I'm working every single day to make sure that it never has to go to the judge's scorecard. And you, you see the effort that I'm putting in. Yeah, and something else we've seen out of you in the cage has been your dance moves. That's just <laughs> one aspect of your brand, I'd say, that puts on a show and entertains the crowd. What compels you to dance in the cage, though, after your wins? Um... So growing up, like, uh, for some reason, the stanky leg had just been like the signature dance that I was known for. I honestly don't know where it came from, but just I was like, I just want to bring something of myself into the cage, uh, especially with so many of my friends and uh, family coming out to support me. And so I just had him play as a joke, you know, just the stanky leg as my walkout song because I think they couldn't find a clean version of the other song that I wanted. And so I didn't know that he was, the DJ actually plays the song when you're right after you win. And so I'm like, Oh, the song's playing. I was like, I might as well just hit the dance here in the cage. And I got such a pop from the crowd that I was like, okay, this is something I could keep doing. So I I just wanted to keep finding music that had dances, maybe a incorporated with them and this time um i I came out to kodak black uh no flocking and you know there's the kodak bop so i was like okay let's do that one this time and i think it's something that either i'm gonna keep finding new dances or maybe just come up with my own signature dance because like you said i think it might be a part of my brand at this point yeah i definitely feel like it was wasn't the snaky leg cage thunder 19 when you won via ko Yes, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, so I like I said, I was there in the crowd that night. I feel like you got a bigger pop by doing the dance afterwards than you actually did when you knocked out your opponent in that fight. 100%. Like, I feel like people weren't even watching the fight, uh, but they watched the dance by the, the sound of the pop that I got. Like, people really enjoyed that, yeah. Once again, this is Walker Snowden with us on Forged in Ohio. I'm sure you're relatively healthy after that fast finish at Cage Thunder 22. When are you looking to return to the cage? Uh, Yeah, very healthy. No injuries or anything. My weight's still good. We're hoping to potentially make a return in October. 
it looks like maybe for Maidman uh, productions, uh, promotions, or uh, in November for Cage Thunder again. You know, whichever one works out the best for us in our schedule with opponents and everything like that. But yeah, either October or November. We're trying to make a quick turnaround. Do you think that you'll have a, a tough time finding opponents after that performance that you had last time out? Um. Yes. Honestly, I do. I was already having... Uh, tough times finding opponents at 185 and that's why I was fighting 205 and so then to go in and end a fight like that at my uh, debut at 185 I feel like it's going to make it even tougher but with me being ranked fifth now in the uh, Ohio rankings anyone ranked above that if they want to stay there they can't turn down fights you know if if you if you want to be ranked in the top 10 top five then you're going to have to just fight tough guys and i'm one of those tough guys now potentially looking at those rankings and you mentioned your number five and just seeing who's out there is there a fighter that makes sense for you next i'm not gonna go that far i don't know what my coaches and everything would want me to say with that one so it, it's just i'm cool to fight anyone in the top 10 or even uh in the top five and going forward there's no opponent out there that i would turn down personally so, yeah, if anyone wants to call me out, give me a contract, then we'll accept any fight. Do you mind me throwing out a name your way and see what you think, or do you want me to hold off, play a little matchmaker? Uh, Yeah, you, you, you throw a name out there. So you mentioned you'd fight anybody in the top 10. Number 8, James Ritchie. He's 3-0, one no contest, has a win over Mateo Gardner, and no contest against Nick Nash. He's competed twice for Cage Thunder. You've competed for Cage Thunder. I feel like that might be a matchup that could happen. Hey, uh, yeah, if if you think it'd be a good fight, then that means that other people have to think it'd be a good fight. Like you said, especially if he fights for Cage Thunder, it's something that uh, we could get worked out, if not this November, but potentially uh, early next year. Then, yeah, that sounds like a good fight for me. All right. I feel like we're getting somewhere, man. I, I would love to see that fight. If not, like you said, anybody in the top 10 who's game, definitely exciting fights on the horizon for you. I know Cage Thunder values exciting fighters. Now that you have two finishes under the promotion, do you see yourself fighting for Cage Thunder even more and becoming one of those guys that they can look to over and over again when they have cards? Yeah, I'm honestly trying to get a belt through Cage Thunder, if at all possible. If it, if it takes me one more fight uh, for them to see that I'm worthy of a title fight for them, then that's what it takes. But yeah, I'm, I actually saw Cage Thunder potentially being the first promotion and giving me my first amateur belt. So yeah, whatever I have to do to do uh, to make that dream come true, then I'm willing to do that. Yeah, that was my very next question about Cage Thunder belts, either at middleweight or light heavyweight. How far off do you think you are from getting a Cage Thunder title fight? Honestly, I feel like with one more win with them, it only makes sense to put me at a title fight, especially if I just keep moving up in the ranks uh, in my next fight to finish. It's why not just put me as the main event and really see how loud we can get the crowd. You know, uh, I'd bust out some crazy dance moves for that <laughs> fight for sure. Yeah, maybe some dance moves that you can, can uh, incorporate the belt into as well, huh? Yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> so say you pick up another win, you'd be 4-0, win a title 5-0, as a potential 5-0 and undefeated amateur mixed martial artist with a Cage Thunder belt, how would turning pro look for you in your career? Um, well, we're trying to 
we know here in Ohio you have to have the the ten and zero pro fights, but you can obviously move to not move, but go fight in different states. We're trying to do at least seven zero, eight and zero before we go pro. Because once you make that jump to pro, there's no turning back. You know, you can have a hundred amateur fights, but it's you have to be ready for that pro debut. And so, like you said, we talked about Chris earlier. Uh, we want to kind of take that same route that Chris went. He was a uh, seven and one, eight and one, something like that before he made his pro debut. And you can see how the experience really helped him mm. shine on his debut. And we want to make sure that we shine the same exact way. Yeah, it sounds like that's the smart route to take for your career. Other than winning amateur titles, which sounds like is kind of at the top of your mind right now, what else are you trying to accomplish in combat sports? What are those long-term goals that you may have set for yourself? Honestly, my long-term goals for combat sports is to just get my name out there as well as I can with that being in the regional scene here in the amateurs, but then the national scene once I go pro to just promote myself my my own personal brand uh i'm a personal trainer uh i do group fitness and one-on-one training but my ultimate goal is to start selling cookbooks so if with fighting i could use that to just get my name out there and just sell uh healthy lifestyle cookbooks that'd be a dream come true interesting so cookbooks i've never had anything like that come up on forge in ohio before what sparked that dream when I was younger, um, I was really into reading and I'm still a big reader now. So I spent a lot of time at the library and I was uh, eventually I just made my way over to the culinary section and I started checking out a bunch of cookbooks. So I grew up thinking that I was going to be a chef and I really enjoyed cooking and everything. And now that I'm just so into fitness, it's just my love of food and my love of just a healthy lifestyle in general just go hand in hand with cookbooks, you know, because it can be kind of hard for people to meal prep on their own or even just know like quick, easy recipes that they can use to make in their day to day lives. Because it doesn't have to be anything extravagant, but people just want how they just want to know how they can eat healthier day to day. And I just feel like a really good cookbook can uh, help them with that. Yeah, for sure, man. How good of a cook are you? Uh, I'm definitely seasoning my chicken. My rice isn't that bland, but when I'm on diet, my diet's pretty bland, but I, I'm a pretty good cook. If, uh, if it's like uh, Thanksgiving's coming around or one of the holidays, I can definitely throw it down in the kitchen. What's your go-to meal after a big win and you're at home and you want to make yourself something? Uh, believe it or not, it's uh, my go-to meal is ice cream. Like, uh, because during camps, I don't allow myself to have sugar. So even after this fight, you know, I went straight to my blender, threw some milk, ice cream into the blender, just made myself a quick smoothie. And uh, that was that. Uh, I was very content, but I'm not really too much into like um, just eating out and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like my diet's like super clean 24 seven. It's just the sugar that gets me. So literally right after my fight, we drove straight to Dairy Queen and uh, I just picked up a large blizzard. Yeah, I mean, you can do worse than a blizzard from Dairy Queen, that's for sure. So I'm sure you're familiar with Alexander Volkanovsky, a UFC champion, and he has that YouTube channel where he cooks. Maybe not exactly what you want to do, but do you take any inspiration from that with what you want to do with a cookbook one day? 
No. Uh, I Honestly, yeah, I know Volk pretty well just because I follow B-Team as well. So, mm. you know, he's always uh, on their podcast, uh, their YouTube channel. And I didn't know that he had a, a cooking channel. And that you honestly just like sparked a light bulb in my head that that would be perfect to go in my brain as well. Yeah. Just start a YouTube channel and just be cooking on there. Just and I could cook the recipes from the potential cookbook as well to like even get that out there. Yeah, there yeah. we go, man. See, we're we're building something here, Walker. I feel it. I feel like we're doing something here. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, any anyone that wants to help uh, build the brand is always a friend of mine. Yeah, there you go, man. Well, before we wrap up, uh, anything you want to shout out, whether it be social media handles, sponsors, things going on at the gym, the floor is yours, man. Yeah, follow me on Instagram at Snowden MMA S N O W D E N MMA or Snapchat Walkman snowman 225 and then just shout out to the team rtsc training camp ray terry brandon my boxing coach we're just doing big things uh in the gym and like you said chris just went pro and we're going to be trying to bring a lot of other fighters up these amateur ranks and then into the pro uh scene as well so if anyone that wants to train with me or maybe just join the team definitely give us a shout out look us up RTSC, Ray Terry Strength and Conditioning. Shout out to them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more products come out of that gym. And thanks again, Walker, for joining me on the show. I mentioned it at the top, but I feel like your exciting fighting style is going to take you a long way in the sport. Before I let you go, there's only one way that I like to end these conversations on Forge in Ohio, and it's with the OHIO chance. So help me out here. OHIO. Thank you, Walker. Thank you again for coming on the show. I can't wait to watch and cover your career moving forward. And uh, let's do this again sometime down the road, man. Yeah, hopefully after I've won a couple belts. That was Walker Snowden, the 3-0 mixed martial artist who picked up one of the most impressive submission wins that you'll see in Ohio Amateur MMA at Cage Thunder 22. I was bummed that I couldn't be there for the fights, and the feeling of missing out that night was really only amplified by Walker's performance. I can't wait to see him compete next. I know it will be just as, if not more exciting than his first three fights, and we'll see if he can climb the ranks of amateur light heavyweight and middleweights in Ohio with that 100% finish rate. If you made it this far into the podcast, then I can't thank you enough. I have some pretty exciting things planned for Forge in Ohio in the future, so there's truly never been a better time to be a fan of the show. Of course, I do ask that you follow at Forged in Ohio on both Instagram and Facebook, and please download episodes on your phone while you're listening to them. That helps me and my numbers, and it lets me know that you like what you're hearing on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I've been your host, Jake Murin, and this was Forged in Ohio.